0: This episode of The Sporting Spirit is brought to you by our listeners who support us on patreon.com slash thesportingspiritpodcast.
1: As we're an independent podcast without any major sponsors, we are reliant on any help that you are capable of giving, whether it's by just contributing
0: five euros a month or even if it's by sharing the link of this podcast
1: to colleagues,
0: friends or family. As always, peace and love. And welcome back onto this week's episode of The Sporting Spirit. I'm really happy again to be joined um, by my co-host, Carl, and we are somewhat in a role reversal this week because I'm recording at quite a convenient time in the afternoon Malaysian time, um, whereas Carl has just about, um yeah, gotten up from his slumber it's about 6 30 a.m in uh sweden and uh, carl's about to go to work but you know it's all it's all good how's it going carl
2: yeah thank you yeah it's early morning here but feels good though so far yeah i've been uh, moving now so i'm living in a new apartment so a little bit closer to work and that's why i can now record in the morning as well so it's not just you that has to be recording at inconvenient times. So, <laughs> and and when and when Carl says
0: that he lives close to work, he literally lives um opposite work. Am I not right, Carl?
2: Yeah, it's like I
0: don't know, it's like five minutes. Sweet, you can pretty much roll out of bed. Anyway, there's a big issue we want to talk about this week, and we only want to talk about one issue, and it's uh, very much close to Carl's heart because um obviously the man in question is uh, is of course. One of the most famous Swedish athletes in the world, Carl. Take it away.
2: Yeah, so it was in the news here, and it's almost like two like megastars uh, having a verbal disagreement with each other. So, and uh, of course, we're talking about uh, Slotan Ibrahimovic, uh, the Swedish uh, football star, and uh, LeBron James, uh, the basketball star in the NBA. And uh, Ibrahimovic, I think he was asked a question about it in an interview, and he criticized LeBron James in this like if uh, athletes should be, like, vocal in political issues. And according to breaking it's just, like, no. Like, athletes should be athletes and politicians should be politicians. Like, you should not speak out on issues that you don't uh, know uh, anything about or take a stand. And while LeBron James went out like that he's never going to, like, be silent, he's going to use his platform to speak out against issues that he feels strongly about. Uh, So they have a disagreement and Sala was trying to make sure, like, sure, you can speak out against racism and stuff like that, but you should know athletes and sports is is used to unite people while politics divides people. So politicians should be politicians and athletes should be athletes. So that's the the big disagreement between them. It's like, should athletes speak out uh, in political issues and use their platform to influence people?
0: That's pretty much the gist of our podcast, even I would say, you know, because our, our whole point doing the show is to highlight the areas where um, there is overlap between politics and sport, and so mm-hmm. I think if we were to go by Zlatan's view, then you know this podcast obviously wouldn't wouldn't happen. Of course, in this in this case, you know, I, I think. A lot of you listeners and ourselves included probably will we'll find a lot of disagreements with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but you know, to take it, to take what he says just from that context, it just seems more that he's really um, uneducated on the issue because he, he talks about athletes taking a stand in social issues, right? But on the other hand, he talks about the fact that athletes shouldn't dabble in politics, but without politics, you can't solve social issues because this is the modern society we live in. We don't live, you know, in the hunter-gatherer society where, you know, um, if you don't like the other guy, you just kill him or, you know, I don't know, you know, uh, burn his house down. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's the way we tackle issues these days through politics, through using your voice. So that I find a really strange comment from Zatan. The only way I would defend him is saying that obviously he has a lack of education when it comes to, um, yeah, what politics actually means and how it's interwoven into society.
2: Yeah, like, I, I agree with you on that point, John. And, but I'm not surprised by Slatan's comments either, because he has had this stance for like throughout his career. Like every time, like in Sweden, every time there's like an election coming up, uh, he gets a question about it, and he's been like shutting it, the question down. Like, yeah, I'm I'm an athlete. I'm not speaking out about like politics and political parties and stuff like that. That's not my uh, forte, if you say so. So. Yeah, I disagree with his comments, but it's not a surprise as well. And when he was asked the question in the interview as well, I cannot see why he went that way uh, as well. And it's kind of like, I don't know, I feel like it blew up more than it should have. Uh, yeah. It's probably because he mentioned LeBron James in it. And then LeBron James was, of course, asked about it in an interview. So it's just because it's two like superstars having a disagreement. But yeah. I feel like in one way they have, they are on the same side as well. I feel like they do—they do want uh, the better, like the world to be a better place, and they want to strive towards this right direction. In the issues, like they have the same view on the issue. It's just about how to deal with the issue. I would say.
0: No, I can only agree with what you said there, and I—I think it also highlights. A real shift in the way athletes have evolved. You know what I mean? I think Zlatan Ibrahimovic is the kind of athlete that perhaps is stuck a bit in the past, in, in the same mold I think as is Michael Jordan, maybe Tiger Woods. You know, um, where they're commercially really successful, but politically, they're really neutral. You know, and, and not even politically, just on on issues where uh, you know. They might be sensitivities, you know, and they might be polarizing debates around. They remain neutral, whereas I think the Mon breed. You talk about LeBron mm-hmm. James um, in basketball, talk about Steph Curry, people like that, you know. Even in in football, you know, there's so many names. Um, even players like Lukaku, right across the city from Zlatan, right, who's mm-hmm. what 15 years younger than him. These are guys who are who are taking the stand. I'm using their platform to highlight injustice, you know, advocate for change. So, it's a shift in the kind of you know. It's, I think it's the evolution of the athlete that we see here, and I think. It, it, it's quite harsh to sort of judge Zlatan, um and compare him to the new breed of athlete who, for lack of a better word, are a bit more woke. But yeah, I think that's just the, the reality of the situation, in my opinion, anyway.
2: Yeah, and also like, because Ibrahimovic have been vocal when it comes to like uh, racism in Sweden and he's been very vocal uh, about, for example, that people with uh, a non-Swedish last name Uh, having a a difficult time to like get into like national teams and stuff like that Uh, hasn't always agreed with his opinion on, on those issues um, on those statements, but he's been very vocal about that. And it's also coming from his background. Like he growing up in Sweden uh, as an immigrant and he's always felt like he's an outsider. Like he's always had to like fight the system and he's been using sport to like unite. Uh, people and to sh- and to become a symbol for uh, these uh, immigrants that grew up in Sweden like he was like the first immigrant that made it big in Sweden i would say
0: that's why i think it makes it even more surprising for me um coming from zlatan and i think it i think it's safe to say that the stuff that zlatan says often doesn't really surprise you because he's just you know a, a sharp shooter right he he just speaks for his yeah. mind but this in particular was quite surprising because of his track record as you mentioned he, he has a history of you know sort of standing up for the rights of you know ethnic minorities in different countries um, i think his dad is um, from bosnia his mom is from um croatia i believe so you know it's uh it's a strange one yeah like
2: but i don't know i think as a swede we're not surprised uh, at this at this at least because we've been get, getting used to it you know at least he yeah. hasn't changed. he's consistent Like he's had this dance like throughout his whole career. Yeah. So it's not like he's like flipped the flipped the coin and like, oh, I'm going to go with this, with the the popular opinion. No, like, Mm. no, this is my view on things and this is how I stand and you can take it or leave it. And of course, like, I don't, I can see where it's coming from, but I don't agree with it. And if I had to take a side here, I would have to go with LeBron James. The athletes should use, like, could. Use their platforms if they want to. They don't have to use their platforms. Like you can't force an athlete to like be vocal in the media if they don't want to. But if they want to, as LeBron James, and he's at least educated and like read up on the issues he's talking about, then I don't see an issue with it. Yeah,
0: I agree on that. I agree on that. Again, such a such a polarizing topic. You know, whenever athletes make their voices heard in in any realm outside of sport, you know, particularly if it's politics. So it's, yeah, as always, Latan is a polarizing figure in the world of sport. So, yeah, we'll wait and see what happens. Still love him though. <laughs> of course you do. Um, anyway, let's let's move on to then the gist of um, this week's ep- episode and talking about Latan and where he's, his heritage is from, right? Um, the Balkans. We've, we've got an academic this week from that region of the world from actually Montenegro, and he will talk to us this week about issues developing in that region of the world, um, particularly where sports and politics intersect, and the sort of historical and sociopolitical context in the Western Balkan region. So yeah, without wanting to give too much away at this point. Let's get to it. And on this week's episode of The Sporting Spirit, I'm really delighted to have on our show um, Dr. Marko Begovic, who is currently an associate professor, um, mainly within the fields of sport diplomacy and security affairs in sport at the Faculty of Sport um, at the University Union Nikola Tesla in Serbia. Previously, Marko was engaged with various state institutions, mainly within the capacity of advisor for international affairs, as well as high-performance sport, um, as well as consultancy-based positions within the National Olympic Committees. He has also held elected positions within the Council of Europe, for instance, on the Task Force on Good Governance in Sport, as well as the Gender Equality Rapporteur and Bureau Member. Once again, um, we've got another guest who's got a rich sporting background. He's a former professional tennis player um, and a member of the Davis Cup team of Montenegro. Dr. Bekovic, I'm um, absolutely delighted to have you on.
1: Uh, thank you very much for this uh, generous uh, introduction. Uh, I'm I'm happy to be on board and please shoot.
0: We want to begin with a kind of background question, because we know that your academic work focuses in on a specific geographical region, um, one which a lot of us call um, the Western Balkans, right? C- can you perhaps tell us a bit more about your work within that region
1: yeah i mean i mean from early start i mean it's it's, it's actually it's actually a, a hard one to start with because uh, you you mentioned one uh, job that i work currently as, as as a professor associate professor at the faculty School. but actually i'm a team leader for on tennis academy in stockholm and I'm recently uh, elected as a general secretary for the regional sport initiatives base of Montenegro, but the covering region, what you, what you now refer to Western Balkans. But, the, but just to start with understanding the coin, I mean, Western Balkan is a political coin. It's not a historical or geographical one. So my main research uh, interest is, is, is covering bo- broadly the countries of ex-Yugoslavia at this stage but uh recently I, I i prepare a piece piece with my colleague on the on, on yeah some kind of comparative study between sp- uh, sport diplomacies and politics uh, and and, and politi- policies within hungary and, and and montenegro so i'm a little bit broadening the scope mm. but at, the, at this at this early stage yeah it is focused on 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 ex yugoslavia
0: very interesting, and I just want to touch on a point that you mentioned there, because as, as you said, the Western Balkans is very much um, a political term, right? And um, I think a couple of months ago, probably I read something by, um, and you would know him, the, the famous Slovenian philosopher, Slavoj Žižek, right? And he was mm-hmm. saying how, you know, um, that there is no real line, you know, um, or there, is no, there are no real sort of um, barriers of what you may term the Balkans and not. So it's, it's, it's complex to begin with. But anyway, to go back into my questions. Um, so to be able to speak about sport in former Yugoslavia, we have to speak about um, its unique form of political governance, which had evolved um, under the rule of the Communist Party of Yugoslavia, the KPJ. Can you tell us a bit about how sport was governed under this so-called third way of governance?
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I mean, it's it actually has some, you know, some background before the rule of the of the Kip, as a, as a as a revolutionary uh, post war uh, movement, political movement. Well, it's, it's it's it is actually pretty much based on the Sokol movement, which was which came from Czech Republic, uh, mm-hmm. which is very much in line with the, with the brotherhood and the unity spirit. And uh, uh, early on, after the after after the uh, the, the Second World War, uh, the the, the, the governments of the sport was pretty much mimicking the Soviet system, a uh, very rigid state bureaucratic system mm. uh, based on the uh, you know uh, central planning uh, in economy in all o- all other socio political environment. So there was a little of. Frame for any liberty at that stage, which you know, based on the on on what was what was happening during the Second World War and, and and the post-war development, which from this perspective you can you can you can understand,
0: absolutely. And in one of the papers you co-authored only a couple of years ago, titled "The Impact of Political Pressures on Sport and Athletes mm-hmm. in Montenegro," mm-hmm. which is of course your home country, right? Um, mm-hmm. You write that quote: "The Communist Party of Yugoslavia." had a monopoly in all socio-political spheres, end quote. And this included sport, of course, which you you said, quote, was seen as an important catalyst since many of the working people and youth were regularly involved in these organized activities, end quote. Now, historically speaking, can you talk to us a bit maybe about how sport was used as a so-called political tool in the former Yugoslavia under the KPJ?
1: Well, uh, just a step back, I mean, at the, at the governance of the sport, there, there were two ways. On the beginning, as, as I mentioned, considering everything, the, you know, rebuilding of the country, uh, you know, uh, uniting different uh, different nationalities, ethnicities, religious background, the sport was pretty much, you know, uh, governed very rigid through the state bureaucratic system. But mm with the clash with the clash with soviet with soviet lager so uh, soviet union and the countries in this in this in the sphere of the of the soviet union uh, yugoslavia yugoslav political nomenclature uh, came up with a with a very unique approach actually with a self managerial uh, or self management uh, socialist system mm. it was pretty much the system designed it is based on the marxism to be understandable uh transferring a lot of power to the workers yeah. so the state uh, with, the, with the with the constitutional change and the, and the laws uh, following adopted to follow this constitutional change established a worker councils worker councils you know uh, stood up as a delegate representative of, of all workers within different factories the similar system was was tried to, was tried for many years to be implemented in in, in Yugoslav sports system and uh, this was a pretty much unique attempt to democratize actually the sport uh, s- system which mm. I will maybe later explain why didn't succeed and etc. Before we talk about why they didn't succeed, do you know anything about how it was received by the people at the time? Well, uh, People in Yugoslavia follow the general political, political orientation and the, and, the, and, the, and the strategy of the KPG, or the Communist Party of Yugoslavia, uh, because they really believe that, uh, you know, there was a coin, mm. Yugoslavia mm. was seen as a west to east and the east mm. to the west. Yeah. So they, very, very unique way that also have a repercussion to the, to the foreign policy. Uh, forming non-alignment movement, the biggest movement at that time involving countries such as uh, China, India, Egypt, and et cetera. So so considering everything, uh, people uh, dominantly workers because constitution recognized workers and other citizens. So workers were very much uh, satisfied with ability or opportunity to influence decision-making processes and to be involved through their delegates uh, to decision-making or the governing bodies. So uh, uh, that was one, one side of the coin. The another side of the coin is, of course, the Communist Party, you know, supervised every, every process, even, even then. And, and in most of these delegates was at the same time member of the Communist Party. And uh, in terms of the sport organization, the people who were in charge in the, or involved in the governing bodies was member of the communist party or, mm. or communist youth, when we talk about youth, youth people being involved in decision-making processes. So this, this was pretty much, you know, carefully navigated and steering process not to undermine uh, the, 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 mono, uh, the monopolistic position of the communist party of Yugoslavia.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Because I think often when we think about, you know, the so-called sports systems of countries, we often think about them in very sort of black or white terms, you know, it's either sort of top down or bottom up, or, you know, for for all you sports systems experts out there, um, you know, who are familiar with the typology, uh, either, you know, sort of social configuration or um, a bureaucratic one, or, you know, an entrepreneurial one, which essentially just means that it's either state driven or somewhere between or sort of fully driven by private stakeholders. But in reality, in a lot of countries, it is somewhere in between and, and no more apparent
1: than somewhere like former Yugoslavia, as you mentioned. Indeed, if we look at the self-management system, it is a socialist one. But the combination of the state bureaucracy, very present still, self-managerial governance and market socialism. Mm. We cannot forget that there was a very strong, you know, uh, market present from early 50s until end of on the end of 80s in, in, in Yugoslavia. I see.
0: Yeah, and building on that point and talking about what you were referring to before, what what were some of the the so-called outcomes of this sort of complex system? Um, and I guess what I'm alluding to here is the sort of the negative outcomes, the complexities. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, as, as, as some of the, you know, uh, what really attracted me to, to, uh, to, to write about history, uh, historical development of sport policy and politics in these countries is actually a very, you know, uh, re, uh, very smart and, 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 and remarks of some of the historians or, or representative of different uh, governing bodies at, the, at that time. You know, I, I, I had an opportunity to go to the State Archive to really look at the very, very significant document at the time in relation to the sport policy and politics. And one of the, one of the concern was, okay, they recognize this is a, a hybrid mo- model between, you know, KPJ political influence and working councils on one side, but also very strong republic's autonomy and cultural specificity on the other side. Mm. Why I'm saying this, uh, for example, when we are, when we are thinking about why Yugoslavia uh, why Yugoslavia collapsed, many of uh, historians and politicians undermine the importance of educational system. At that time, educational system during socialism were, was very much decentralized, but decentralized in the sense that, for example, in Serbia there was two autonomous provinces: so Kosovo and Metohija on the south, and Vojvodina on the north. Both of those provinces has a very different educational system than one in the central Serbia. The influence on those educational system was coming from Hungary, on the north, mm-hmm. and from mm-hmm. Albania, on the south. So when we are talking about what was the problem with this uh, introduction of or implementation of self management system, which in theory is a is a is a system. Uh, Aim to democratize institution is it produces uh, excessive bureaucratization, and and at the political level, it gave a great autonomy and power to the KPJ Communist Party republics branches. So, Communist Party of Croatia, Serbia, Montenegro became so strong, very independent in the in their uh, in their in their businesses. So when we talk about you know what was wrong, how we can prevent you know decentralization is something that we are all aiming you know to involve a large number of of different stakeholders but if we decentralize without clear hierarchy then we we are having you know uh we are having a cast organizational cast mm. where you don't know where, where you actually don't know the ownership
0: yeah Sure. And as you mentioned, orga- organizational chaos, how much of that or, or, or the politicization of sport during that period of time and the way it was organized and as you mentioned, the sort of lack of um, a model almost, the stable model has impacted upon the current day situation of sport in the, the obviously the independent nation states now of former Yugoslavia, such as countries like, like where you're from um, in Montenegro.
1: Well, uh, the continuation of the one-party model was, I mean, I mean, in, in different in 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 countries of Yugoslavia, you know, the remain or the legal continuation of Communist Party remained within certain political parties, and they tried to and they successfully actually combined the mix of the you know monopolistic rule of the Communist Party with the Capitalist way of making a privatization, but privatization of, mm. of resources and economy only only to the one that are politically exposed person Pips. So, so what I what I try to say is, yeah, uh, we are now you know leaning toward uh, liberal economies, toward democracies, but actually. We are still on the remain in terms of the of the of the political influence. We are still remain on the on the remain of the one party model.
0: And what effect has that on the way sport is organised?
1: Well, uh, sport uh, it's 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 different in different uh, republics in ex Yugoslavia. When we talk about Montenegro, uh, Montenegro didn't didn't uh, succeed to remain on the good institutional arrangement. As in case of Croatia and Serbia, you Mm. know the major uh, Yugoslav institution in terms of of development of high performance sport was located either in Serbia or Croatia, little in Slovenia, but most in those two republics. So they had a good, strong uh, basis to continue developing a a high performance sport. And actually, in Serbia, you have pretty much until recently you have pretty much continuation of the of the uh, you know. Uh, the philosophy of development of high-performance sport as as it was in seventies and eighties. Mm. Uh, just to remind you, uh, Serbia and Montenegro remain in one smaller Yugoslavia, Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, until two thousand six. So when we when we talk about uh, you know the impact of dissolution of Yugoslavia, uh, we, we I mean uh, Slovenia at the start was very much struggling how to form. The system, how to respond primarily to the needs of the high-performance sports. But now we are seeing in the cycling and other sports, we are seeing how they they manage to take what is good from the west and to keep the the central planning on, when it in, in case of high-performance sports.
0: I understand, and and yeah, it it, it is really fascinating, you know, to talk about high performance sport but on the other hand how how much of a focus is there in recent years on mass sport or, or the sort of stuff that we do, sport for development
1: well when you compare uh, with ex-Yugoslavia with the socialist Yugoslavia where the focus was on amateurism as a major principle uh, leaning leaning towards a principle of, of Olympism it was very strong and inherent in the many policy uh, documents in, in in socialist yugoslavia with the dissolution of yugoslavia with the dissolution of of, of socialist self management system the full orientation of the sport policies was on on liberalization but as i said liberalization that uh, you know uh, that politically exposed person regain uh, gained the power within different sport organization and for example we have a, a you know an elite handball female handball club, uh, and in this and the the structure is very professional. But actually, they want to keep it as a non-governmental organization. So the professional club is registered as a non-governmental organization. Why? First reason, they don't want to have you know uh, they don't want to have an obligation to pay a taxes. They want to be tax exempted. And also, they want to. They don't want to be questioned about the transfer of athletes. So, for example, now the federation or the competent state authority doesn't have any overview what is happening in that particular club, because it is uh, it is organized as an NGO.
0: That's that. That's fascinating. That's really fascinating. Yeah, um, and I, I want to move on to what what you mentioned before. You said that. The remnants of the, the the Yugoslavia sports system, or the best of the elite sports system in Yugoslavia, remains in countries such as Croatia and Serbia. Yeah, I want to talk about these two countries as well as the rest of them and how sport has been used as a tool for nation building. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of our listeners will be aware of in the the, the sort of sporting rivalries between these countries, right? Especially in football, mm-hmm. without a doubt, um, Serbia and, and Croatia could you talk to us a bit about this?
1: yeah I mean I mean firstly uh, we need to be clear that countries such as Montenegro and Serbia have had a very long statehood be, be, before joining or making Yugoslavia so in case of of Montenegro we can find a trace of thousand year of existing a country called in a similar names as, as, as Montenegro so it's a, it's a pretty long development. Mm. With a, with a strong uh, diplomacy and statehood in 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 eighty in eighteenth century nineteenth century prior to the to the establishment of, of, of Yugoslavia, similarly is the case with Serbia. It is not the case with countries such as Slovenia and Croatia. Uh, uh, one more reminder: Serbia and Montenegro existed until as a part of Federal Republic of Yugoslavia until two thousand six. So the nationalist tendencies. Uh, after the dissolution of Yugoslavia can, could be traced very early in case of Croatia, little less in case of Slovenia. But in Montenegro and Serbia, it's, it's particularly interesting because uh, it was not the case until 2006, but it, it went into two different directions. While in Montenegro, we have a, a, a nationalism as a part of political agenda mm-hmm. for internal reasons, in Serbia, we have uh it's deeply rooted in the clash with Croats, Muslims, and Albanians. So it was one country, but actually the the way how nationalism was developed and the root of nationalism is a bit different. In Croatia was you know, attempt to make one country with only Croats. In in, in, in Slovenia was, you know, to Emphasize on specificity of of Slovenia. Uh, in Montenegro, was of course in interne- internal constellation and politicization, which led to a rise. You know, you had people who were uh, you know big Serbs in '90s became big Montenegrians opposing Serbs in in, in, <laughs> in the last two decades. So you know, the nationalism uh, was changing as 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 the as, the, as the as was the change of political agenda. But in Serbia, it's deeply rooted, you know, with the, with, the, with, the, with the slipping, sometimes slipping into a chauvinism as well, revoking the outcome of the Second World War, you know, uh, Serbia being very long under, under the Ottoman Empire, a recent war against, uh, on, on civic war in, in, in Kosovo and Metohija, and aggression of NATO in 1999, which is I, think, I believe very very important also topic, how that how that uh, aggression reflected on the constellation between different you know sport clubs in the region, uh, different uh, you know acceptance uh, of, of of Kosovo to different sport organizations. This is something mm. I, I suggest. That maybe in some other uh, other podcasts should should take part or elaborate further further because I think it's a very significant topic when you talk about you know political sport, foreign policy and politics and sports and et cetera.
0: No, absolutely. I wanna stick within this this theme here. Mm-hmm. Academics, experts, you know, often comment in saying that sometimes nation building can be seen as a stoking of almost ethno-nationalistic flames, you know. So instead of actually being um, or having a positive effect on on building up the country, it, it, it creates rivalries and, and unnecessary kind of heat. What would you say to that with regards to um, yeah, countries from the former Yugoslavia?
1: Well, uh, as I said previously, it is it differ from country to country yep. and uh, until recently in when you talk for example about montenegro until recently yeah. we didn't have this within the within the field of sport but now we have you know teams that goes prior uh, development of, of, of establishment of yugoslavia prior to 1918 18, uh, because uh, after the first world war uh, Serbia occupied Montenegro, and now you have these teams arising in 2020. So, so what I want to say uh, in the case of Montenegro, it is there is no uh, foreign tendencies of splitting, uh, slipping, and nationalities and national t- politics. It is rather a part of political agenda and internal constellation. But for example, in Serbia is pretty much. Uh, reflecting what, what your question referred to, you know, uh, deep, uh, deep division between uh, Croats, Muslim and Albanians, uh, really uh, some kind of uh, direct uh, constellation on the sporting field. We had this match between Serbia and Albania, which was, you know, stopped because of the, of the Albanian flag on the Serbian, uh, Serbian pitch. A lot of uh, uh, pre pre discussion before this match that actually fueled the situation on the court, and of course, uh, party politics took over this this situation uh, for their I- I internal internal use. Uh, I would I would say as as one general comment, uh, uh, the f- if if EU doesn't succeed in in uh, taking all of this country into in, into the membership, into the full membership, we're gonna look at more and more decline of democratic standard, the mm. rise of nationalistic tendencies, but also uh, you know arrival some of the other uh, big power that 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 want to use and, yeah. and to influence in this uh, you know in this constellation.
0: Mm. And 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 in that case, are you suggesting as well that we'll, we'll see? Um, more politicization of sport as a natural consequence of, as you mentioned, those nationalistic political tendencies.
1: Indeed, indeed. I, I mean, I mean, the, the politicization of the sports is just the reflex of, of overall uh, significance and omnipresent of sport of, of politics within broader socio-political uh, spheres.
0: Absolutely right. Um, perfect. I want to move on to a different issue now, and and to talk about something which you've written extensively about, and I, I believe you are currently writing about as well, which is um, how the politicization of sport actually is seen or impacts the athletes themselves, so the athletes' perspective. You write specifically about this in Montenegro. Could could you maybe talk to us a bit about this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, you're 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 right. Uh, I I, I wrote my PhD thesis uh, uh, about this. Uh, The topic was, I I would like to say just briefly about motives, why. Mm. Uh, I'm an ex-athlete. I used to work in a different sport forum. I used to work for different uh, National Sport Federation. I used to work for NOCs. And throughout this work, I I was witnessing different, you know, uh, policymaking politics in sports and different agendas. But I never seen athletes or athletes representative being involved, just sitting or or having the observer position because those decisions are directly affecting them. Uh, It continued with the work within the Council of Europe and and what i what i succeed during my, my time in, in in executive board of the council of Fear of epas governing body for sport is i i i succeeded in referencing referencing that athletes as other stakeholders of the sport movement needs to be involved or facilitated within the decision making processes and within the governing bodies so uh, w- what I find out, in, 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 and then, and then that, of course, that motivate me to, to 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 read a lot about this first within the region because I want to to grasp what is happening in mm-hmm. in, in, in regions, uh, dominantly in Montenegro, but in other countries, and secondly, uh, then I, I felt motivated to write about that, and then with the support of my mentor and my friend uh, Professor Stefan Stefan Ste- 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 you know, I was encouraged to write about this. I, I, I you know, his help, uh, tremendous help was, was crucial in, in finalizing this work, but also to continue writing, uh, writing about, about athletes in, in, in broader region, in the region of ex Yugoslavia. So what, what I find out in the researching uh, National Sports Federation is that athletes are seen either as an immediate, uh, you know, success, something that, that stakeholders can use or an unnecessary expense they are rather object than a subject yeah. of decision-making bodies and processes and that's contribute to the notion that sport uh, governing bodies are not democra- democratic one even even when they when all stipulate within their statute, visions, missions that they are, you know, a non-profit, open, non non-governmental, non-political, open to all stakeholders, but in reality it's a very close internal and informal group of decision-making processes. Very often in the region, but I'm seeing more than 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 in this region, uh, politically affiliated or politically exposed persons.
0: It's absolutely interesting what you just mentioned because that's something which we spoke about again extensively with um, Paulina Tomczyk, who's the general secretary mm-hmm. of EU Athletes, who mm-hmm. I'm sure you you know of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and she mentioned that their the organisation, of course, is a platform for the voice of EU athletes. Um, and and I guess a lot of the challenges that athletes face is just simply that they are not at the table. Um, when discussions are being made and they're simply objects, um, they're simply, you know, um, pieces on the chessboard, right? Mm-hmm. And something which we spoke about actually is how COVID has kind of changed that because athletes have increasingly been pushed into taking action because a lot of them, for example, cannot live under the circumstances where they're not paid or they don't, you know, have the benefits, you know, as, as, a, as an athlete, can you speak about this a bit to us and, and in terms of you know that this element of, of covid and how maybe it's democratized
1: sport indeed i mean i mean i was i was looking actually again what is happening in the balkan region because it was very you know from the from the political level to the sport level it was uh, in a way uh, mimicking one each other uh, how institution uh, you know try to 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 look Look each and to follow each other in this, you know, undemocratic practices and demo, and actually uh, backsliding of, of democratic capacities in many countries, uh, from the Hungary, Serbia, all the way to the to the, to the Montenegro. So yeah, uh, the the question about COVID is a very hot topic. It's it's a, it's a topic that uh, you know when you look at the Lancet and the, and the, the current research research, the the experts still cannot fully grasp what is happening what kind of uh, you know broad consequences is gonna have when gonna fi- when gonna finish mm. nobody knows <laughs> how that can how the virus can transform in some other so so it's a lot of things unknown but when we when we, when we break down to the national level for example of Montenegro but also I mean I just finished a, a chapter for Serbia and, and, and Croatia, what I can say is there are three phases. So the first phase is the phase of really unknown of anything was a complete uh, shutdown of everything, and the sport had a, you know, a sport and the sport system and athletes were actually devastated. But, but the, but the crisis in this case the crisis, disclosed all the country's weaknesses in the region. For example, for for weak institutional arrangement, uh, you know. A corrupt political system and an un- undiversified economy, which is very important, because uh, in the case of Montenegro, the full focus on economic focus was on a tourism. So more than quarter of GDP was coming from the tourism. And now we are under, you know, under the situation where there is no trouble and that had a median uh, effect on the, on the, on the, on the tax, um, tax money on the, uh, on the, you know, financing, uh, not only sport, but we are talking about education, health, social security, and etc. So wh- what happened to that is we, we, we have many athletes early finishing their career because they, okay, they were in a situation, they have families, they either, you know, wait and maybe suffer greatly, or they stop playing sport and trying to find a job. And particularly for the amateur clubs, they were uh, you know heavily financially affected because they they you know they sustained of the membership, and since the sport was you know shut down, they couldn't they couldn't finance their activities. Uh, you know the measures. I mean, now you can maybe talk a little bit about measure and say okay the, the measures was actually not able to go to parks to outdoor recreational activities everything was stopped and when you have for example you know the research uh, the, the latest finding on the you know non communicable and chronic diseases in Montenegro and the region you, you can find out the st- staggering numbers of 40 50% of the population having uh, some kind of those disease which, you know, in the one hand, make them uh, very vulnerable to this virus. But secondly, you know, preventing them to have an ability for regular physical activity, it will make them more health health risk. So uh, the second phase, uh, okay, that was the first phase, but the second phase was a pre-election phase. In the moment of the crisis, health crisis, The government decided to have an elections to sustain the power for another Olympic uh, four years. And then you have the situation that they suddenly open everything. And what, what happened is that significant rise of number of infected and number of deaths. And not only that, but the party politics determined the measure not the not the scientists and the experts. As a consequences, we have a uh, you know loss of complete legitimacy of science, expertise, and politics and public administration. So this is what is happening now in the countries, but especially 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 in Montenegro. So um, as an uh, as an outcome of this third phase, I mean the whole health and economic system currently collapse and this is you know uh, the, this uh, constellation signals that you you can actually not you cannot have a, a real plans in terms of sport policy when it comes to development of certain of certain aspect of sport either high performance of, or recreational it's really
0: i don't know if interesting is the right word but it's definitely crazy to think that you know a government would hold an election obviously during the COVID times but but Montenegro is not the only country to do this um, for listeners out there you know there's so many countries who have done this in the last year or so um, and and politicized COVID I mean it's almost difficult to name the countries which haven't politicized COVID
1: rather right? Maybe New Zealand would be a good example to follow.
0: (laughs) Very much so big big fan of Jacinda Aden. so yeah absolutely right but moving maybe towards um the light at the end of the tunnel. I, I want to talk to you about the future of sport in Montenegro in whenever it is a post-COVID era. How do you picture that in your mind? Uh, we are. St-
1: I, I will say we are still at the beginning of the tunnel, so uh, <laughs> the light is still far away. But at this, at this, and it's very unclear how this crisis will will play out. The level of impact on organized sporting, especially including the recreational one considering the importance of, of, on overall uh, health of society but also the societal what values of sport that's said let's that say the structure of sport really needs to be uh, in my view to roughly uh, re-examine we aim to to set up a very dynamic responsive and resilient sport system what does it mean we need to be able you know when I I, I, I cannot uh, you know, guess what is hap- what is going to to happen. But we really need a, a structure that, in those kind of crises, can have an immediate response. Okay, we have we at this stage we we as as beginning of the covid crisis we have complete shutdown of the system. But okay, we need to have the response. How to deal with that, especially in terms of sustaining athletes to stay into the sports mm. not to recruit really so we need to have different programs uh, also we need to have a better health system tailored to the need of athletes this is something what is you know uh, safely returned to the to the, to, the, to the to the sport in Montenegro is, is actually not set up it's depend on the athletes individual capacity to go in the private health institution and, and to be checked at, at, at its own expenses. So we need to have system that will respond to the athletes' need. But also we need to rethink how to structure community based sport to uh, to reflect to the needs in a different in the different circumstances. So 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 I think in this pre Olympic uh, months. Mm. They really need to shift the focus actually from Olympic Games to really thinking about how to run the, the, the resilient, responsive, and dynamic sports system.
0: And then to follow up on that question, taking from what you said, do you think there, there's been enough discussions, there's been enough brainstorming with regards to the three um, yeah, aspects that you mentioned? Has there been progress on that front? Or do you think it's still severely lacking?
1: Well, uh, as, as to the region, none discussion, actually. There is no discussion. The focus is actually only how to prepare for Olympic Games, which, OK, I understand. Uh, in ter- as I was a professional athlete, I understand the importance of professional sports. But at the same time, I believe that discussion, brainstorming, as you mentioned, uh, an, an educated or academic discussion actually is also needed, but also the, 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 the policy level discussion is also needed just to grasp you know, what happened in the last year and what we can do to prevent, to preemptively act, not to, not to have the same issues. Because uh, I would say in terms of the region, uh, if if this prolongs for another 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 six months or so, we will need you know a Marshall Plan for 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 for, for these countries.
0: And, yeah, this is, that,
1: uh, and, this is, and this is reality.
0: Mm, ab- no, absolutely right. And I think you know a, a Marshall Plan not just for a few countries. I think this Marshall Plan would be for half the world, if not more. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 to speak and you know, to take everything um, in summary, I, I, I would say that one of the more important things would be to include athletes in this discussion. Uh, whatever, you know, the contingency plans are for, for the future, athletes have to be at the center of the table.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you're, you're fully right. Athletes, namely athletes, but also, you know, coaches, sports yep. managers entourage they need to have the war saying there in at the table because they're actually center of the you know competitive sport and we need you know you, we need to hear what are their thoughts how they're thinking about this what is happening in their families mm. you know it's it's a it's an individual dramas so i i would say in many cases and and we need to to understand what is happening this and it's not only in sport but but the, but the sport actually with with the values with the values that possess really can step up in this direction but in order to do this uh democratization of institution is a prerequisite
0: you're absolutely right it is indeed a prerequisite and um and yeah, I think everything we've discussed today has, you know, has, has sort of encompassed what, what you just mentioned there, um, the importance of the athlete's voice. Just to finish off today's interview, Marco, and once again, because you know we've had we've touched on so many different issues quite in depth as well. But I want to close in on um, something more personal for you. And and of course, yeah. you you mentioned that you were formerly a professional tennis player, and I can imagine that you you have had your 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 idols growing up. But who who is someone in sport who you look up to? Or you did look up to before, be it in tennis or whichever sport.
1: It's a it's a hard question because <laughs> we, we, when I was growing up, we, we really look at you know Michael Jordan with his with his extraordinary sporting performance. Actually, I mean we're all I mean, but but also in Yugoslavia, you have certain certain number of of basketball uh, yeah. football players that we really. You know, we we really looking at like Dan Bodoyoga, Aleksander Georgievich, uh, Tony Kukoc, Dino Raja, Dragan Petrovic, all of these. You know, uh, Dan Savicic, uh, Predrag Mijatovic. Uh, so all of those yeah. great athletes will will look very. But I would not say there was idol in my case. I would say that I was you know very proud on seeing them how they perform. They were performing in the in the, in the time of crisis in times of yeah. u.n sanctions and uh having you know having uh, receiving a medals at the end of the competition for for me was you know okay this is something what we can pay them back with with imposing us with the sanctions so this was my <laughs> my, my my first my first response but but the second is what what actually Noah Djokovic is doing with professional tennis group of forum that he's that he's working on in 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 having a tennis player involved in decision making processes Mm. i would say it's a very i mean it's a very huge uh, step forward in a in a very professional sport as 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 tennis so i'm very happy that he took the uh, you know he took the forefront in that in that action and and this is something we actually need. We need the top athletes to say, okay, this is, you know, this is wrong. We need to have athletes on board. It's not only me who is having this so big attention of media and everything, but we need to hear the the player who is 500 on the world or, or 1,000 on the ATP ranking as well, because he's living this sport the same as I do. I may be number one on ATP, but he's also going through everything what I'm going through. Mm. This is, I would say, this is very crucial. But at the same time, uh, you know, we can, this doesn't mean that we need to have an excessive bureaucratization, and this was the case of Yugoslavia. But we need to have the forum for athletes to articulate their, you know, their voices. And that those, those uh, voices need to be, you know, uh, are uh, adequately facilitated within different uh, governing governing body because this is core of our sport, is athletes. So, uh, you know, just uh, one decretion, you know, the, the lack of democratization uh, of, of sport organization is producing the lack of interest for sport. And lack of interest for traditional sports is mean a rise of e-games. Yeah. So this is... This is something that we need in the long run to think about what we are doing if we are not involving the one who are the center of the sport in in, in, in the development of the sport.
0: I can't I can't agree more. And what we're moving towards I think uh, murky waters here. Where, you know we could talk about esports for another one hour, but just on that point on Novak Djokovic, I I would be surprised if you didn't talk about him. So you know obviously, but people often forget that apart from being the best tennis player in the world and possibly one of the greatest ever, his off-field work as well. A champion of um, player power. He's setting up a, a, a new um, player association. Am I, am I not wrong? Yeah. For yeah. tennis as well? Um, yeah. To give more decision-making powers to the players. So I, I think it's definitely something which um, should be talked about more. So, yeah. Yeah. Marco, thank, thank you very much once more for, for agreeing to come on. And uh, we wish you the best of luck with all your work. Um, you're a really busy guy. And hopefully, hopefully, you have time to come back
1: on one day. Indeed, uh, John look it was it was my pleasure. I'm very delighted with with the work that you do. It's very important to actually for, for for what I'm working on because because you are really in line with 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 with, with the with the research interests. And, and and you know, you have my full support and encouragement. And when you need another chat, I'm I'm here for you. Thanks very much, Marco. Thank you.
0: And there you have it, Dr. Marco Begovic. Carl, how, how did you find the discussion?
2: And what, what are some of your takeaways? Yeah, I used to, have to say, like, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I've always been fascinated by the Balkans, like Western Balkan countries, uh, especially in the relationship with sports. Like, so it's like small nations and with the history they have with, with the, the war and everything, but they can still produce so many good athletes on a high level especially in team sports you have like like for example like basketball handball football water polo but also like some tennis players as well Uh, so that's really impressive and it has to do with the sports system so i was like really interested to like listen about like how the sports system in in these countries work and i feel like begovic was in a good way explained a pretty complex sports system to us absolutely right
0: And that would be my main takeaway as well. Um, The complex sports system that um, is a reflection of uh, obviously the political and and social history of um, all these now independent nation states formerly belonging to um, Yugoslavia. And I found it quite interesting actually to know that the main sort of sporting giants in that region, Serbia and Croatia, are the big, you know, producers of talent because of, you know, um, the remnants of the Yugoslav system back in the day, you know, and, and the elite mm-hmm. system. And I also found it interesting how previous to that in Yugoslavia, there was a history of mass sport. Um, elite sport wasn't the main focus, but, you know, like sport for the people was, you know, obviously mm-hmm. the main focus. And it's interesting how there's been a shift now to sort of elite sport and to see all the diverse different countries, you know, in that region um, have their own sort of, you know, peculiarities as, as Dr. Bekovich mentioned
2: yeah it will be interesting to see like how that affects the their like the, the talent pool in the future like as i said like it's going more and more towards it, focusing on elite sport and not on mass sport because many of these like top talent that grew up like in the 90s and 2000s are coming out, out of the- that system and now we're coming more and more elite sport focus is that going to have a an effect on the talent pool
0: Absolutely right, and it goes to show there is this trend all over the world, and not just in, um, not just in um, places like Montenegro or you know or Serbia, because we spoke a couple of weeks ago um to a couple of experts from Indonesia who mentioned the same thing, right? And it's the same thing here as well now with with Montenegro and, and some of the countries in the Western Balkans. So it's I feel like it's it is like a, a, a worldwide phenomenon which has been going on for the last couple of decades, and um
2: yeah we can see it in Sweden as well, like in my home country, and it's been it's been a big big debate like one of the biggest issues like on like on the top of the list for the, the swedish sports federation to talk about like how to deal with elite sport because it's becoming like more focused like at a younger and younger age to focus on like the elite sport yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah and i have been trying to work with it to make sure that at least every kid and teenager can be able to play sport mm-hmm. uh, especially now and like the the like the UN's Children's Convention became yeah. law, yeah, uh, and that affects sports as well, because uh, every kid has the right to play sport. Exactly. So yeah. teams that like doing selects, uh, select teams and elite sport can't really do it in the same way anymore. Uh, so, but yeah, it's a world phenomenon. I would say mm. that this sport uh, is getting also like at a younger and younger age as well.
0: Yeah. And to link into that, another thing which is sort of like a, a, a trend at the moment for, for countries all over the world is the use of sport as um, a, a tool, you know, to, as I mentioned in the podcast, to stoke the flames of nationalism. And mm. it clearly is a reflection of the politics of the country. Dr. Begovic mentioned that as well in saying that there is this shift, this right-wing shift in the, the, the west Western Balkan region. And it's not just there. It's, you know, those, you know not just East... Eastern or Central Eastern Europe either. Um, in Western Europe, we see the same thing. And so it, it is worrying. It is slightly worrying. Uh, but yeah, we hope that, you know, instead of using sport as a tool to divide people, sport can be used more, you know, as an actual unifying tool.
2: Wow. Do you yeah. know who you sound like just like that? <laughs> you sound just like slapan Ibrahim with Stern. Sport is for <laughs> United people. <laughs>
0: Yeah, right. Um, Yeah, it it was fast. It was a fascinating interview, but I I would have to mention also that it was one of the more complex topics um, that I've had to sort of, you know, um, engage with and in so far. It's something which I know close to nothing of uh, the Western Balkan region, and specific to that, the sort of sport policy, you know, in that region. So it was such an insightful discussion and very stimulating, to say the least.
2: No, yeah, I feel like uh, uh, Doctor Begovic did a really good job, like explaining. Because, like, I don't know, there's there's so many things you can talk about the Western Balkans when it comes to sports and the whole like the history of the of the region and there's like the nationalism with sports and the, how sports has been used by politicians and all that. And you have all these different countries as well that have their own little history as well with sports. So and yeah, that that's pretty much it
0: for this this week's outro. But before. Before we go, I want to just, yeah, just to mention that Dr. Begovic is keen to come back on our show at some point and sort of engage in a sort of debate with regards to an issue that we talked about at the end of the episode this week, which was to do with esports and whether or not esports should be considered or should be treated with the same respect as your regular sport. So this is a call for anyone who's willing to debate him, whoever's listening out there. All fifteen of you, uh, if you feel you're up to the task, please yeah shoot us a message. Yeah. Do we
2: have anything else here, John? Or <laughs> wrapping it up?
0: That's it, man. That's it. So yeah, um, Carl needs to go to work. Otherwise, he's gonna get fired. We don't um, want to do that. We don't want to do that. Not at all. As always, then peace and love.